It is uh, an unbelievable privilege to be here today. When I was standing over there, as the music began and I started thinking about the message, I got very emotional. I used to be the pastor at First Christian Church of Dyer, and the Lord began to call us to, to Las Vegas. And as you know, Daniel is in, in Las Vegas area, and, and we really have no idea what we're doing or what we're going to do when we get there. All we know is the Lord is taking us there. And I was, when we were making that transition, I was like, I wonder if I'll ever preach again. Here I am, getting emotional. You know, what we believe to be true governs our life. This is a really important thing that we're going to talk about this morning. Whatever you believe to be true, it doesn't even have to be true. What you believe to be true will govern and dictate the direction of your life. If you believe something that is not true, you are believing yourself into bondage. But if you believe the truth of Christ, you're believing yourself into freedom. And that's such a powerful concept to get a hold of because if you believe that God is not the God of healing, you're believing yourself right out of a healing. If you believe that God is not interested in your life, you believe in yourself out of a beautiful relationship with the God of creation. So what you believe to be true is incredibly important. And it doesn't have to be a lie. All it has to be is false. Sometimes untruths just come along innocently, and then we believe them. For example, can you imagine that the world being flat? You know, the world, there's a lot of people who believe that the world was flat. What, what was the fallout of that belief? Nobody wanted to go explore because they believed at the end of the earth they were going to fall into a great abyss, right? So the fallout of, a, of, a, of believing something that wasn't necessarily a lie, so no one just sit down and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to orchestrate this, this fabrication that's going to keep everybody in bondage, going to keep all of Western Europe in Europe. It was just common thought. Common thought was the world was flat. And if you go to the end, you're going to fall off. So it kept explorers gripped in fear. And it kept them from exploring until one man had the courage to say, the moon is round, the sun is round, the stars look round, maybe the earth is round. And he went off on a venture, and today we reap the benefit of that. There was, so my hope today is that we're going to rip the mask off of a lie, the lie of fear. We're going to expose fear today, and we're going to have a fun look at fear. Sometimes when you throw humor at something, it kind of gives you a fresh perspective. And so we're going to have a little fun with this whole concept of fear this morning. Before we get into that, I, I, I want to lay a little bit of groundwork so that we have an opportunity to, to see where things come from. I have a little object lesson that I want you to, to pay attention to this morning. Open your Bibles to the book of, of Genesis, the very first chapter. Genesis, the very first chapter. And you'll see in there that God's plan for creation. And so today we're going to be talking about 
faith or fear. And you'll notice that when God begins to talk about how he made things, you know there's like 157 different things that have to be just right for there to be life on this planet. The nitrogen has to be just right, and then we need a great big planet like Jupiter to protect us from things hurling through space, and we got to be just the right distance from the sun, and the moon has to be in just the right order, and the gravity has to be moving at just the right pace. There's all of these things that have to be just right for there to be life on the planet. But did you notice that the book of Genesis does not go into any of those things? You notice how God in his wisdom doesn't say how he did things? But he does tell us about one very, very, very important law. I call it the law of laws. God set things up, and how he set things up on this planet, he let it be known right in the very first chapter, right out of the gate. He says, this is how life operates on this planet. And here it is. And I think I've got it up on the screen. I'm not sure how this thing moves forward, but there we go. Here's the law of laws that God put in place for life on this planet. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and tree that grows seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they come. What do we call that? We call that the law of sowing and reaping. What you sow, you will reap. It works that time, every time, without fail. Now, I have a cucumber here. Anybody? They have, they have cucumbers in Indiana, you see? And so I have, I have a knife, and I want to show you something. Now, that's not a knife. Now, this is a knife. Anybody, anybody get that reference? Come on, help me out. Who was that? Crocodile Dundee, that's right. This is a knife. This is a knife. So if I open this cucumber, I, I, it doesn't matter where I open this cucumber, right? If you've ever, if you've ever opened a cucumber, you know what's going to happen. As soon as I open this cucumber, what are you going to see inside? Seed. Now, here's the really cool thing about cucumber seeds. When I plant a cucumber seed, I get corn, right? No, that's not what happens. When I plant a cucumber seed, I get a? Every time, if I plant a cucumber seed, I get cucumbers. And no matter where I slice this inside of this cucumber, I get cucumber seeds, nothing else. Because God put a, play, put a plan in place that says that these seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they come. Every time, without fail. Now, I also happen to have in here, in my little stash of goodies, an apple. And you can have this apple if you tell me the variety that it is. Anybody got a guess? Jonathan. It kind of looks like a Jonathan. It looks kind of like a Macintosh, but that's not what it is. A gala. So when I'm done chewing on this, you can have the core. So if I open this apple, what do you suppose I'm going to find inside? What kind of seed? Am I going to find a golden delicious seed in here? Am I going to find a Jonathan seed in here? What kind of seed am I going to find? A gala or gala, whatever, however you pronounce it. The exact seed. Because that's the way God set up life on this planet. 
and it worked and it continues to work. And it doesn't matter whether you're saved or not saved. It doesn't matter about grace or no grace. What you sow, you shall reap. And it's important that we talk about seeds this morning because where we're going with this, seeds are very, very important. Now, you may have heard this, this law put into place in a variety of ways. Maybe you've heard this law this way. The chickens have come home to, maybe you've heard it this way. You've made your bed, now you have to, it hasn't gotten Indiana. That's great. What goes around, no pain, no you guys are smart. Garbage in. If you keep doing what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. You know, the definition of insanity is do something, do something the same time and expect something different. It doesn't work that way. Now, here's my mom's favorite way of telling me the law of sowing and reaping. If you make that face, it's going to get stuck that way. <laughs> That was my mom's way of trying to get me to. So there's a great beauty in this law. The beauty in this law is it's completely, perfectly predictable. Now, I grew up in Iowa, southeast Iowa, a little town called Ottumwa. And in southeast Iowa, it's very much a rural area, and there's a lot of farming, much like Indiana. Can you imagine for just a moment one of our local farmers going out and planting corn and reaping pomegranates? So he plants the corn, harvest starts to come up, and he begins to look at it and says, huh, this doesn't really look like corn. And he goes back and he checks his seed, and sure enough, it says corn, and, and the seed looks like a corn seed, and, and he's been doing this a long time, and we put that seed in the ground, he knew it to be corn, but when it comes up, it doesn't look like corn. He knows what corn looks like, but this isn't corn. And so when the harvest comes, here's all these pomegranates. He has all of his harvesting equipment set up for corn, and now he's got pomegranates. Anybody ever tried to cut open a pomegranate and eat any of the seeds from a pomegranate? It's a mess. What is he going to do with that? But that's not the way things work. Here's the way things work. If you plant corn, you get. If you plant beans, you get. You see, that's the way our life is. Our life is like a garden. What we put into our life is what we get out of our life. A beautiful thing that we, we call Sozo, this word sozo, which we get the word saved from, salvation. The best word to describe salvation is salvaged. Salvaged. You see, what happens is the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter, it tells us that we were planting all of these things into our life. Drunkenness and orgies and lasciviousness and lies and greed. We had all these things we we're planting into our lives, and that left us far, far away from God. But when God begins to work in our lives, we begin to plant different things in the garden of our life, and we begin to reap a different harvest. If you want to change your life, 
Change the things you're putting into your life, and eventually there will be a harvest. If your life is a mess and you want to be blessed, that's, that sounds like a Mike Limerick right there. If your life is a mess and you want to be blessed, plant different things in your life. Plant good things into your life, and then your life will be salvaged. You'll begin to receive the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. All of these things come from the Lord. But it depends on what you're planning into your life. That is why being in this place, listening to this man, is so important. Because you plant things into your life that are going to have a harvest. So I want to lay that groundwork because of what's going to see happening in our lives. And what's going to happen in this text. So let's move on a little bit. Let's move on to the book of Genesis, the very third chapter. Genesis chapter 3. A few weeks ago, Liz talked about this. And we know the story of Adam's fall. And we know the story of what happened with Adam when he, when he fell when he took of the fruit that, that he was not supposed to eat of. And if we look at this text from, from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 10, he replied, and so God's come walking through the garden looking for Adam, and he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid, because I was afraid. And I was afraid because I was naked. Something happened in Adam's mind. Something happened in Adam's life. Something more sinister, something more significant than just Adam eating the fruit and him going to die a physical death. Something happened in Adam's mind. And we see it in the text because he says, I was afraid. You see, there was a time when he wasn't afraid. There was a time when Adam walked freely. There was a time when Adam had no competition in his mind for voices and thoughts. There were no loud voices speaking in Adam's mind, in Adam's, in Adam's ear. He was, had a singular mind set. Adam's mind was free to think clearly without any voices. Because here's the way things work on this planet. Sowing and reaping. It works like this. Your thoughts dictate your actions. And your actions will then dictate the result you're going to have in your life. You see, our thoughts are seeds. Remember we talked about the law of sowing and reaping. Our thoughts are the seeds of our life. What we think about what dictates the actions that we take, and the actions we take dictate the results that we get in life. If our mind is thinking on dwelling on things that are of the earth, Paul tells us that we're going to reap the destruction of the earth. But if we put our mind on the things of Christ, we, we reap life. So our, our, our mind is set up. We are God's highest form of creation. We're, we are the ones who can think. And our thoughts then dictate what actions we're going to take. 
And the actions that we take dictate the life that we're going to have or the results that we're going to live as the results of what we think about. That's why Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Let God transform your life by changing the way you think. Because what you think about is very, very important. So we come back to this idea of of Adam. He said, I, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. The first consequence of sin is fear. The first consequence of sin is fear. Something happened in Adam's mind, and that thing that had happened in Adam's mind has been now transferred to every single human being who's ever lived. And that thing of fear is in your mind. It went to Adam, and then it went to the children, the children's children, all the way down to us. And it's going to happen to your children, and to your grandchildren, until the Lord comes. We have something that happened in us, and it's a voice, what I call an inner saboteur, that screams at the loudness of his voice, fear. What does he look like? Let me show you a picture of what this inner saboteur looks like. Wow. <laughs> the best way to describe your inner saboteur <laughs> is a drunk monkey. Can you imagine what would happen in your life, if you, in your house, if you let a drunk monkey loose? There would be stuff everywhere. It would be torn off the walls. There would be stuff that... All over the floor, the couches would be torn up. Everything in your house would be a wreck if you let a drunk monkey into your house. But that's what Adam did. Sin let loose a drunk monkey in your mind, and he's loud, and he's obnoxious, and he says a bunch of stuff that just isn't true. And you know what the worst part of it is? We believe him. We, we forget that he's drunk. And he has no idea of what he's talking about. He says outrageous things. So God begins to work into your life and begins to move into your life and says to you, hey, I want you to go to Las Vegas. My drunk monkey says, you can't go to Las Vegas. You'll die in the desert. You can't go to Las Vegas. You're going to lose everything and end up in your mom's basement. And your mom doesn't even have a basement. You're going to lose everything you own. And that junk monkey is screams at the loud of his voice, and he drowns out everything that God is saying to you in a still, small voice. So I want you to recognize this morning what your inner saboteur is up to. You see, his sole ambition, because Adam was told he was going to die, your drunk monkey, your inner saboteur, his one ambition is to keep you alive. But you know, that's a lie. Because we're all going to die. Everyone who's ever lived, unless the Lord returns, is going to die. And even if the Lord does return, this body is going to be exchanged for a new one. So no matter what, this body that you have is not going to heaven. But we fight so hard to keep it alive. 
And we listen to voices in our head that say, if you do that, you will die. If you do that, all kinds of bad things happen to you. And meanwhile, God is saying, trust me. Trust me. Follow me. Come close to me. The best place you can be, God says, is close to me. That's why Jesus died for us. 1 Peter 3 tells us that, that God sent Jesus to bring us safely home to God because everything else ends in death. And so this drunk monkey, he says all sorts of crazy things. Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit is speaking softly. The drunk monkey says things like this. You can't start that business. You'll end up in your parents' basement. You can't start that ministry. No one will come. You can't make a difference. Nobody will listen. If you do that, you'll lose everything. And he doesn't do it quietly. He does it at the top of his lungs. Now, I happen to have a, a love for roller coasters. And um, can you move my next slide there? It's, it's not going. Anybody ever been to Islands of Adventure down in Orlando? Universal Studios? Do we have any roller coaster fans in the room? How many, of you, how many of you love roller coasters? How many of you have a fear of roller coasters? Okay. <laughs> so, so my wife has this fear of roller coasters. So we're at Islands of Adventure, and this is, this is something called the, uh, the something dragon, the dragon challenge, I think is what this is called. And so Sherry's, my wife, her mom, Sherry, would you stand up? This is my wife, my daughter, J.C., So, so we had this, I, I love roller coasters. The scarier, the better, right? I mean, if you're going to get on a roller coaster and you're going to die, you want it to be over with. So the faster it goes and the more it spins, you figure if I fly off of this thing, I'm dead and that'll be it, right? I don't want to die a slow, painful death. I want it to be over with. So, so, my, so we had gone on this thing like three times, and I was really trying to get my wife to go, and she she doesn't just hate roller coasters. She despises roller coasters with a passion. Somehow or another, my mother-in-law and I convinced her to go on this roller coaster. Not only to go on this roller coaster, but go on the front of the roller coaster. So you can kind of see they're upside down right now, which is the way to go. I mean, if you're going to get on a roller coaster, you just got to go fast and go upside down because otherwise it's no fun. So, so Sherry finally got on the roller coaster and she was convinced that we were going to die. And as, as you know, as they start, they ratchet up, you know, chick, 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 chick. So we're going to the top of this thing and she's like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? We get to the top, and then as you get a really good roller coaster, when you get to the top, you can't see the bottom. That's a sign of a really good roller coaster. So we get to the top, and the first thing she does is scream, ah, and boom, down we went, going around and around. The ride's only like two minutes long. Uh, I'm laughing, and Sherry's mom is also on, and we're laughing, having the time. I'm looking at Sherry, laughing more at Sherry than I am enjoying the ride because she is absolutely terrified. Honey, are we ever going to go on a roller coaster ever again? She's not. 
but you see, sometimes when we encounter what God wants us to do, we're convinced, we convince ourselves, this is going to be scary. What happens when an angel shows up? The first thing people do is they're terrified. And the first thing the angel has to say is, do not be afraid. You see, when God shows up, sometimes it, it's kind of scary. It goes against our flesh. When Jesus walks on water, the boys are terrified. When, when he calms the storm, they're, they're, they're like speechless. They're, they're, like, they're afraid. And Jesus often said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But this voice of fear that comes screaming in our ears, trying to preserve our life, doing what it cannot do anyway, drowning out the voice of God. So how do we defeat this drunk monkey in our minds? How do, we, how do we get to a place where we can say, okay, Vegas, that sounds good to me. Start a business? Sure, I'll start a business. Give to that charity. You know what happens when we, when we tithe? How many of you, when you're, when you're writing out that tithe or sending that text, there's that voice in your head that says, we can't afford this, can't afford this. I don't know if we have the money for this. God, you really got to come through. If, if I give this money, I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. It's that unreasonable voice coming into your head that God's already got your back. The law of sowing and reaping is already in place when you give. If you sow generously, you're going to reap. That law is already in place. It can't be thwarted. It's the law of the universe. It's, just, it's the same as when you plant corn, you get corn. When you sow generously, you reap generously. It is a law of the universe. It cannot be set apart. It cannot be set aside. It cannot be thwarted. So when, when you're giving, a lot of times you hear that voice and you hear, I don't know. I don't know if we can afford this. That's too much money. Why don't you give half? And then you deny yourself an opportunity to see God bring into your life the law of sowing and reaping. I really appreciated your testimony a few weeks ago about how God, even though your time of giving, you still give. Anytime when you didn't have a... a income you still gave because it's the law so we've all experienced this and so to overcome this voices in your head step one is just to say okay I acknowledge your presence thank you for your advice I'm going to do the right thing I'm going to walk fearlessly I'm going to walk in courage I'm going to do this in spite of the voices you know Jesus was not unaware of our circumstances. He was not unaware of this drunk monkey. And I want to close with this illustration. In the book of Matthew, the 13th chapter, Jesus gives a parable about the, the sower. And we're not going to go through all of the different sowings that goes on. But I want to go down to verse 7 and pay attention to what he says here. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and were choked out the tender plants. You see, when we listen to the drunk monkey, when we listen to that inner saboteur, whenever we listen to those huge voices going on in our ears, they drown out faith. You see, faith is a seed. And so is fear. 
a lot of times when God has given you a, a responsibility or God is talking to you about doing something, it comes in the, vo- in the form of a seed. Jesus said if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could do incredible things. You could move mountains. If you just had a, this much faith, he talked about it in the form of a seed. Well, faith has a seed. And when God is, is coming to your life and he's, and he's saying, I want you to do this, there's another voice that comes out immediately and starts screaming, and it's the voice of fear. And it chokes out that tender shoot of faith. You see, this word is described this way. This Greek word choked out, apopnigo, to crowd out or to drown out. You see, if we allow the voices of fear, that loud screaming voices in our ear, if we allow them to choke out what God has for you, you miss out on tremendous blessings. You miss out on a life that God, the abundant life that Jesus promised. You miss out on all the great things that can come your way because you walk in faith. You know, Joshua was one of the 12 tribes, 12 spies that went to the land of Canaan. And he and Caleb said, we can do this. We can do this. And the 10 guys said, no, 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 we can't do this. It's too scary. We can't go. They're, they're giants. They'll kill us. But Joshua and Caleb said, no, the Lord is behind us. But Joshua, the first chapter opens up with God reminding Joshua, this man of courage, this man who said, we can do it. We can do it. Forty years later, God has to remind him, Joshua, do not be afraid. Be courageous. I'm with you. And today I just want to remind you to be courageous. That maybe there was a time in your life where, where you were willing to take steps, so you were t- willing to step out and do some, some things, and, and life was kind of beating you up a little bit. And you just need to be reminded to have courage. You need to be reminded that the voices in your hair, head are not from God, and they scream really loud thoughts, and they make you doubt. But they're not from God. They're from the enemy within and from the enemy without. God will not send you into a place he has not already made provision for. When you walk into that place, you can walk in with courage. Does it mean that you're not gonna, your heart's not going to be elevated? Does it mean your palms are going to sweat? Does it mean you're, gonna have, you're not going to have sweat on your brow? Does it mean you're not going to be a little nervous? But it means I can cross that Jordan. I will cross that Jordan. I will go ahead and see what God has for us. You see, my wife and I, we have no choice. We're going to Vegas. We have to. Because we feel like God has called us there. Do we know what's there for us? No, we have no idea. But we have to go. What is God calling you into today? What is God calling you saying, come on, follow me. Come on. And you said, no, not yet. I, I might fail. What if, what if 
it all falls apart? What if I lose everything? God is calling you into something greater. Will you listen to his voice? Will you listen to his guidance? Will you tell that drunk monkey, not today, monkey, not today.